0: Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. This episode is coming out on December 26th, so I'd like to take this opportunity to wish you a merry-whatever and a happy whatnot. Hope everything's going fine for you. Me? I'm doing okay. As some of you may recall, uh, about a year ago, I ended up watching a terrible movie called A Christmas Prince. And, well, I'm a sucker for tradition, so this year I did indeed watch the sequel. To Christmas, To Prince. Or possibly Christmas Prince to The Secret of the Ooze. I'm a little bit hazy on the details. Now, I suppose the obvious question was... Was it good? No, no, no. No, 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 no. 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 No, 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 no. Wasn't even as good as the first one, which was, in fact, terrible. The one saving grace of the first movie, in my opinion, was that the uh, protagonist had a boss who was from New York and worked at a newspaper, so she talked like it was the 1930s and she was from New York and worked at a newspaper which is a choice I can respect. But this movie didn't have her. She quit her job at the end of the last movie to work on a blog, so there wasn't anybody in this movie who was talking like this for no apparent reason. Which was kind of the whole point of the first movie, as near as I could tell. I think possibly due to that, they did have an expanded role for her father, who had a kind of fun, like, Sweat Hogs from Welcome Back, Cotter, New York accent, which was fine. In the last film, his character owned what was clearly an upscale coffee shop, but he and everyone else referred to as a diner. So he's in this movie, you know, New Yorking it up in uh, the kingdom of, uh, I want to say Maldonado, but I think I'm just thinking of former Giants outfielder Candy Maldonado. Eh, fuck it. That guy was a pretty good outfielder. And he had a fun name. Let's give him a kingdom. Anyway. This movie was very bad and very boring, and the main plot I think focused around some kind of fiscal malfeasance, but I couldn't really pay enough attention to be sure. But there was one part of the movie which did pique my interest. There was a subplot where the prince's younger sister was going to star in a Christmas play that she was putting on for the court. Now, right away that piques my interest because... I'm hoping for a Hamlet situation. You got monarchy, you got court intrigue, you got a play within a play. I'm hoping they're setting up for the sequel, A Christmas Coup, in which, you know, she seeds unrest in the kingdom by implicating the Christmas king in some kind of a murder plot to seize power. So, you know, I'm like, all right, let's see where this is going. Unfortunately, I don't think this Christmas play really carried that off. But it did have a character who was a misunderstood ogre, who was magically transformed with a kiss, and I think turned into Santa. I'm a little unclear, but the important thing is, this character is named Grundle. Yeah, Grundle. This may be a regional thing, but when I was growing up, Grundle was what we called the tank. So, while I cannot in good conscience recommend the film A uh, Christmas Prince 2, still and, I do have to say, if you want a movie which has a minor subplot that seems to be about the transformative power of taint kissing, well, Christmas Prince 2 The Legend of Curly's Gold just may be the film for you. Anyway, that's enough of this holiday malarkey. Let's get into some different sort of malarkey. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's Synopsis Rhyme is submitted by Graham Bickford, age 10. Goodbye to the amazing Stan Lee. We never will forget him, you see. I promise you this, this is Hub's new synopsis. Thanks, Graham. And this probably goes without saying, but I do not think 10-year-olds should be listening to this show. Although, having said that, I do realize how much Corey and I talk about poop later on in the show. So, I guess that really would have appealed to me as a 10-year-old. Eh, uh, what the fuck do I know? I watched Videodrome when I was 10. And while this show is certainly not crafted with the child audience in mind, I will say I think it is probably slightly less traumatic for young people than the film Videodrome. There's our pull quote right there. Slap that on the, uh, podcast dust jacket and watch those sales skyrocket. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 46. September, 1984. Showdown. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drodded by George Perez. Inked by Mike DiCarlo. Lettered by Ben Oda. Colored by Adrienne Roy. And edited, as such, by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call. Nightwing, Starfire, Raven, Wonder Girl, Jericho, Cyborg, Aquagirl, and... Aqualad! Hooray! Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans The gang was still emotionally reeling from their recent betrayal at the hands of duplicitous dirt distributor Terra and the false-faced Firmament Flinger's subsequent demise. The team's resident emerald adolescent asshole, Beast Boy, was taking things particularly hard. The verdant vigilante had become increasingly violent, stalking criminals and savagely mauling them while crying and yelling at them for betraying him. Sounds healthy. Cyborg became concerned for his unstable anamorphic amigo but was emotionally unavailable himself due to his own concerns about an impending visit from his estranged globetrotting grandparents, Maud and Tucker Stone. Unbeknownst to the stone cybernetic scion, Tucker and Maud had let themselves into Vic's apartment while the mostly Malabendum Marvel was out looking for his shell-shocked, shape-shifting pal. Speaking of unexpected guests, the Titan Tower received a pair of them in the form of sea strengthened super-teens. Tula, aka Aqua Girl, and Garth, aka Aqualad, the greatest teen titan of all time! Hooray! Make that a slightly qualified, hooray! as the marine teens arrived at the T-shaped skyscraper in pretty rough shape. The evil assholes of Hive, the hierarchy of international vengeance and eliminations, an evil organization who, despite what their name would imply, claimed not to be dedicated to the ranking of spicy poops from around the world, had activated some sort of diabolical doohickey in the suburbs of Atlantis. Exposure to this calamitous contraption left the normally amphibious Aqualad and Aquagirl unable to breathe either above or below the sea. Oh no! Those are their two favorite places to breathe! After finding his aquatic allies asphyxiating near the Titan Tower's pool, Dick Grayson, who had recently rebranded himself as Nightwing, did science at them until they got better. Hooray! Then Raven, Jericho, Nightwing, Starfire, and Wonder Girl piled into the Teen Titan submarine while Aqualad and Girl swam out in front leading the way as our heroes set off to investigate exactly what heinous hydration hijinks the spicy poop rankers of Hive were getting up to under the sea. Gadzooks! Will Aqualad and Girl suffer any lasting effect from their recent infirmity? How will Dick, Aqualad, and Wonder Girl celebrate this impromptu reunion of three of the Titans' original members? And Raven seems to have gone quite a while since last freaking out that the demonic bad dad who lives in her bird-shaped soul tummy would escape and destroy the world. Has the Azerathian Empath finally triumphed in her struggle to let Trigons be bygones? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... nope. In fact, the only really significant change is that Aqualad seems to have misplaced his shirt. Hooray! By walking into a trap, naturally. And, no, of course not. Tula and a now shirtless Aqualad, hooray, lead the other titans along the ocean floor to the place where the spicy poop rankers made the big evil explosion. As they approach the undersea base, we see that inside the hexagonal headquarters, the Hive Hive is abuzz with activity. It seems that the Hive Master is on the premises and has plans on personally overseeing, or should I say, underseeing? No, I definitely shouldn't say that, but unfortunately, I just have and it can't be undone. The operation. Wait, there's a Hive Master? I thought the Poop Rankers were run by an anonymous council of seven robed and hooded members. Well, yes, but it turns out that the council reports to a single big boss who makes all the real decisions for the organization. Huh. You'd think that might have come up before, seeing as the terrible acronym havers have been around for 45 issues now, but apparently not. Okay. The Hive Master is a pretty young lady who has white hair and wears a kind of modified version of the standard hive purple robe that has been cut lower in the front for a more revealing decolletage and has a detached hood that is pulled back to show her face and hair. She's also sitting on a throne which is surrounded by flowers and she has a white dove perched on her finger like she's Snow White or Doug Henning or something. Must be tough to import birds and flowers to the bottom of the ocean, but hey, I guess rank has its privilege, especially within a secret society dedicated to ranking things. Things like poops. Anyway, this eviled-up version of Mother Nature informs her robed reprobate underlings that she is super stoked that the Titans are approaching the base, because it is all part of her plan and she is luring them into a trap. She orders her minions to attack the Titans, Only, not to attack them too hard, just hard enough so that the titular teenagers don't suspect it's a trap. Oh, hive master! despite exposition to the contrary, you must be new at this. You don't have to go through all that trouble. You could just go get a giant box, prop one end up with a stick with a string tied to it, and write TRAP in big red letters on the side, and the Titans would still just walk right into it. It's what they do. Sure enough, aboard the Titan sub, Nightwing is informing his teammates that Hive might be trying to lure them into a trap. So, full steam ahead! Damn it, Dick! Hive starts half heartedly shooting torpedoes and stuff at the Titans and deploys a bunch of scuba guys as part of Operation. What? No, of course this isn't a trap! Aqualad and Aqua Girl beat up all the scuba guys. Hooray! Hive sends out more scuba guys, and Aqualad starts beating them up while Girl sneaks inside of the base. Once inside, Tula resumes pummeling poop Prankers. As she does so, she ruminates to herself that she is super strong, and tough, and good at fights. Guess there's something to be said for sea strength and self-confidence. The aquatic ace picks up one of her vanquished foes by the neck and threatens to torture him to death. Don't get a chance to find out whether or not this is a bluff, because all of a sudden, a couple of hive henchmen wearing shiny metal face masks pop into the room and shoot Aqua Girl in the back with some kind of fancy laser flamethrowers. Shitty. Aquagirl screams and passes out. The distressed do cry of pain is heard telepathically by shirtless Aqualad, Hooray, who has just finished trouncing some scuba guys. He swims towards the base to investigate and lend a sea-strengthened hand. The cry of pain is also felt aboard the T-sub by Raven. The Azerathian empath teleports herself into the hive base, and when she finds an unconscious aqua girl, she is overcome by an uncontrollable rage. Uh Uh-oh, looks like somebody's demonic bad dad wants to crawl out of her bird-shaped soul tummy and snack on some poop-ranking henchmen. Which is a sentence that now exists. Raven's eyes start glowing red and she force-chokes all of the bad guys Darth Vader style until their eyes start bleeding. Dang. Also, I probably shouldn't say this, but... Hooray! I mean, fuck those guys. They were gonna hurt Girl. That would have made shirtless Aqualad really sad. Speaking of shirtless Aqualad, hooray. The speedo-clad super teen bursts into the room and is like, Um, Raven... I'm pretty sure those guys' eyeballs aren't supposed to be bleeding. Want to stop magic choking them? Unfortunately, the avian-themed enchantress is too Trigon-infused to listen, and she attacks her shirtless ally. No! Bad Raven! It is one thing to kill a bunch of purple poop rankers and make their eyeballs bleed, or to occasionally try to kill Wally and destroy the Earth, but hitting Aqualad, the undisputed greatest teen titan of all time? That is going too far. Fortunately, Raven agrees. Horrified that she may have injured the amphibious young Tom Jones of the Deep, Raven snaps out of it and is appropriately contrite. Meanwhile, back in New York, Cyborg returns home to find that his globetrotting grandparents have let themselves into his apartment and have begun to redecorate it for him. Perhaps surprisingly, they did not go for the traditional globetrotter aesthetic of basketball hoops and red, white, and blue confetti, opting instead for the a shit ton of giant houseplants everywhere motif. But to be fair, Maud is standing on a ladder, so maybe she's planning a particularly elaborate comedic slam dunk. Maud and Tucker are delighted to see their grandson. The feeling is decidedly not mutual. Vic is feeling pretty salty about the fact that Graham and Gramps never showed up when his dad, their son, died a slow and lingering death and also did not attend his funeral. Also, when Vic himself was at death's door and underwent the traumatic robotification process, Tucker and Maud were conspicuously absent for that ordeal as well. Tucker objects, saying that during their son's illness they were in the jungle and didn't hear about it right away. Okay, that's actually a pretty fair excuse. And then after that, they were on a cruise and at the circus. Oh, Tucker. You were doing so well for a second there. If you were angling for that world's greatest grandpa mug, I think you just blew it. Vic is similarly unimpressed with Tucker's excuse, and tells his grandparents to hit the bricks and to take their surprisingly elaborate horticultural interior design schemes with them. So, Maud slaps the shit out of her grandson. Okay, so it kind of seems like she and Tucker are at least kind of in the wrong here, but hooray! If an old lady wants to slap a robot man in the face, I am here for it. Vic is like, I hate you, Grandma. Maud is like, your dad was ashamed of us because we were entertainers and he was too concerned with appearances and he probably wished he was white. But then, when he was dying, I bet he probably thought that race was unimportant. And you need to keep in mind that we worked hard and there used to be racism sometimes. And then Vic is like, I love you, Grandma and Grandpa. And Tucker is like, I think you look nice as a robot. And they all hug. Um, okay. Meanwhile, down by the docks, Lieutenant Detective Tank Sherman is working on a new case. It seems that a young lady was going out for a jog in a torrential downpour when some thug pulled a knife on her. She was all scared, but then a big green tiger jumped out of nowhere and mauled the shit out of the would-be mugger and then ran away. Hmm. Big green emotionally unstable tiger, eh? Sounds familiar. Why, that seems like it must be the work of... The Rhino! Oh, wait. Wrong universe. Uh, Also, he's not green. Or a tiger. Well, much like Detective Sherman, I am stumped. Let's go check in on the other titans and their undersea adventure. Raven atones for her Aqualad hurting and the whole bleeding eyeballs for choking the bad guys thing by healing up Aqua Girl's wounds. Then she says she better go wait in the sub while the other titans battle Hive. That's so Raven. Jericho uses his creepy ghost powers to possess the body of one of the KO'd Crumbums. Wait. How does he make eye contact with an unconscious dude? Does Hive train their poop rankers to sleep with their eyes open? Creepy. Also, much like Rudy, the Hive guy whose body Jericho took over a few issues ago, this guy also talks with a dialect seemingly arbitrarily peppered with apostrophes, giving the impression that he's either drunk or from space. I'm guessing the former. I get it. I mean, from the outside, life under the sea seems pretty great, but you know what they say. seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. The Jericho-possessed, possibly drunk hive guy leads the titans towards the base's control center. Along the way, our heroes are accosted by hordes of hive minions. Starfire notes that the bad guys aren't actually firing their weapons at our titular teenagers, but rather appear to be herding them down certain corridors as opposed to others, almost as though this were a trap of some kind. Hmm... From her floral throne, the Hive Queen reveals that yes, this is indeed a trap. She says some evil stuff in an overly sweet and borderline simpering way, kind of like Dolores Umbridge in the Harry Potter novels. Speaking of the Potterverse, if things go according to evil stepmother nature's plans, the Titans will expire sooner than the tenure of a defense of the dark arts teacher. (laughs) Am I right? I'm really just pandering now. Anyway, the titans allow themselves to be herded into a large dome-shaped room, and the Hive Queen pushes what looks like the play button on a tape deck, which seals the door behind them. Uh Uh-oh. Jericho's possession starts to wear off, and the possibly inebriated dude he's been hitching a ride in starts to regain his senses. He seems pretty freaked out. Also, it turns out that his designation is Number 32— which is bullshit, because there's no way this asshole is worth five-and-a-third Patrick McGuins. The Titans start getting a little panicky, and demand that Number 32 tell them what the fuck is going on. Only problem is, the apostrophe-prone Poop Ranker has no idea. From her strangely bucolic throne room, the Hive Queen saccharinely gloats that her needlessly complicated scheme is about to come to fruition. She hits another button on her tape deck, and the room the Titans and the Hapless number 32 are sealed in is launched like a torpedo from the undersea base. Then, when the protagonist-imprisoning projectile is a safe distance from the base, it explodes. Oh, no! Also, what the fuck? So, her Machiavellian scheme that involved letting the Titans escape from captivity at the end of the Judas Contract, and carefully ensuring that they didn't die in their submarine, or during a battle aboard the base, was all so that she could blow up a slight majority of the Titans in a torpedo? I mean, Raven, Beast Boy, and Cyborg aren't even there. That is some next-level unnecessarily complicated scheming. This lady makes Brother Blood look efficient in his evil plotting. There needs to be some kind of a supervillain equivalent to Occam's Razor, where the least complicated evil scheme is probably the best one. Let's call it Occam's Death Ray. Man, with that philosophy, I bet I could do pretty well in the supervillain field. Let's start practicing. Human fools! Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the stuff. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am well, sir. How are you? I am good. Uh, We missed a week last week because I was not good, but now I'm good. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I was very, very sick. It was no fun. I'm sorry. That's okay. It wasn't your fault. That's good. Stop blaming yourself, Corey. Okay. You have to learn to live again. I am alive. Oh, good. Well, nice work. Thank you.
1: So, what'd you think of this comic? I thought it was pretty fun. I think Hive is pretty stupid. Yep. I agree. I don't know why... They wanted to
0: go build that thing under the water. Their station is underwater. Yeah. Their main headquarters, right? I guess. I don't know if this is their main headquarters, if the one in the Rockies was their main headquarters, if they have a different main headquarters elsewhere. I feel like this is a new thing that they just built. Tough to tell. Bad management. It really seems like all around that is a big problem for them. Also, just in general, as a note, I know this came up in the Defenders recently, but I feel that that is true of this book as well. Comic books need editors. And having Wolfman and Perez edit their own work kind of seems to mean that there just isn't an editor. Mm -hmm. And I think this book would have benefited from having an editor, if only as a copy editor, if not even from like a storyline standpoint or any of that, a lot of the prose in it just didn't really make sense. There were like three big parts of it that I was just like, uh, what? I feel like this could have been accomplished in maybe five pages,
1: because there's only three things that
0: happen in the comic book. Okay, let's hear what they are.
1: First, the Titans go back to Atlantis to beat up Hive and get captured. Okay.
0: One. Okay, that's a big thing, though. I mean, I, I feel like that would have taken at least a few pages. Okay, that I'll get, that's three. Okay, give that three pages. Next page.
1: Beast Boy's on the loose. <laughs> okay, he's on the prowl. Next page. Cyborg is mad at his grandparents, and then they reconcile.
0: Okay, I feel like you missed out because I do think that Raven having another one of her freakouts is another thing that happened in this issue. And I don't think that necessarily would have fit in the three pages of that's Atlantis a, that's a shenanigans. Good, that's a good point. So let's let's call it seven pages. One, two, three, four. Okay fine (laughs) seven pages as i said there are a few instances in which i felt like editing would have been useful the first one when i reread it this week i liked it Better than I did the first time, but the opening prose of I think it's about Aqualad and Aqua Girl, but it's very flowery and very purple. And when I had a fever, I could not make sense out of it. That probably is more on me than it is on the writing necessarily, but there is still one big problem at the end of it. So I'm just going to read it out loud. I probably didn't need to specify out loud. <laughs> it would have been weird if I just sat here and then <laughs> said, and done. That's um, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll narrate for
1: you. Hub's looking out the comic book. <laughs> Looks like he's thinking pretty hard. Oh, he looks angry. Shaking a finger.
0: Most of the Others first feel the cold, but they are warm. And while the Others feel alone, alienated, and not at all welcome, here, they are at home. It's really hard to tell from that who they are talking about. I know they're keeping it intentionally ambiguous for a bit. I think that the they is referring to Aqualad and Aqua Girl, and the Others is the other Titans, but... It's dense and kind of difficult to tell with that.
1: Yeah, I had the same conclusion
0: towards the end of the page, but the first two of the three panels feature mostly sea life. And that was what I was thinking was going on too, because I can't remember what it was in reference to, but there was the running thing with, they just wanted a place in the sun, and then they died with like dinosaurs and amoebas and shit that they were talking about before. I was like, oh, is this a callback to that? Mm. It was... It was confusing. And then, yes, I think we are supposed to get that it's Aqualad and Aquagirl. So it ends with, Tula and Garth of Atlantis, Aquagirl and Aqualad, leading friends from the surface into the nest of the serpent. A serpent whose strangulating tentacles originate here had its head in the deep and dark birthplace of man. Okay, serpents don't have tentacles. Serpents are tentacles. They are thinking of octopuses. Oh, no. Maybe they
1: meant cephalopod and they just said serpent. Serpent. That so sounds more sinister.
0: Yeah. A criminal serpent, which calls itself the Headquarters for International Vengeance and Extermination. Which, I'm sorry, you can't just change that. It's eliminations. You already said poop before. You have to stick with poop. And it's a hierarchy. You have to rank that shit. Yep. And it's vengeful. So it's, it's spicy. Icy. Plus it's international. <laughs> Yeah. Ranking the spicy poops of the world is what Hive is up to. From their headquarters in the tentacles of the serpent. In the birthplace of man. Very frustrating. The ocean. Yeah. Okay, I get that. It's like a primordial soup type thing. Sure. But Yeah. No water. Yeah, that's one of the main instances in which I felt like some copy editing would have been really helpful. One of the other instances is later on, which I know we will get to later, but I just want to put a pin in it for now. Cyborg's talk with his grandparents, specifically his grandmother's monologue. Yeah, I read that a couple times. Yeah, and we'll get to that later because I do want to focus on it a little bit more. But yeah, and the other thing was on page seven when Aqualad is doing some dope fighting. It just bothered me. It's a little thing and it's fine, but it's a... Too many. I can't keep track of them all. Fortunately, I can keep track of them all. With handy-dandy telepathic call to one of my undersea friends. They need to switch up the phrasing of that, especially where they emphasize the word track Mm -hmm. by making it bold in both of those back-to-back thought bubbles. It drove me crazy. Editing. Yes. I understand wanting to have creative control of your own project, but you at least need some copy editing in there, and I feel like the book had a stronger narrative voice when Wolfman had Len Wein as the editor that he was kind of bouncing things off of. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to say that. Fair. Now, as we said, Hive is a stupid organization of stupid spicy poop rankers. And in this issue, we find out that in addition to the Council of Seven, who had been established as their leaders before, they also have what I'm going to call a Hive Queen, which could work. So far, for me, it doesn't yet. She's a real, like, sexy, younger Earth Mother type, if that makes sense. It's confusing. She's drawn with
1: gray hair, but she's drawn young. And she has a white dove that likes to perch
0: on her finger. And she likes to drink tea. And she is surrounded by flowers all the time in some kind of a special hyperbaric flower chamber. It makes no goddamn sense. Yes, it's strange. I... I'm not opposed to the idea of there being a hive queen. If you're going to go with the fact that they're all like faceless drones and you want to play up the like bee society thing or whatever, then sure, give them a queen and have her have a different personality. This is just out of nowhere and it hasn't been established before. I mean, she seems genuinely evil in a fun way Mm -hmm. where she's like very outwardly like sweet and kind of unctuous almost with her underlings and like overly saccharine, but in a way that's like, oh, this lady's evil as fuck. Mm -hmm. And I like that part, but it's just confusing where it hasn't been really established that that's who Hive is before. Also, she says something at the end about my late husband would be so proud. Did she inherit Hive? It's that's also confusing. Like just that one line made me think like, Oh, is this like a Major League situation? Hmm. I've been thinking about the movie Major League way too much lately. I think I talked about it in a recent intro. Well, I say lately, but I'm always kinda thinking about the movie Major League. I feel like this has been a part of your life for quite some time, sir. (laughs) It kinda
1: has. I remember Um, the VHS in your old apartment. Really? I didn't know that's the one with the the, with the baseball with the mohawk and the glasses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a VHS of that, or maybe it was a poster. I don't know. I
0: definitely didn't have a poster. Okay, it was the (laughs) videotape. Okay. Yeah, that sounds plausible. But part of the plot of that is that the team is inherited by a evil younger woman who wants to bankrupt the organization. She wants them to have the worst year ever so that they can legally move the team to Florida. Because she doesn't like the city of Cleveland. So I'm wondering if maybe that's that's what happened with Hive.
1: Hold on a second. Yeah, I don't understand how state politics work. But to move to Florida, you have to go bankrupt and have a bad year?
0: Yep. I didn't know that. They had a clause in the contract where if their attendance slipped under a certain amount, then they could uh, move the team. Just but if it didn't, then they couldn't. So she had to tank the season. Oh, I see. It's not Florida specific. Just yeah. you got to move the team if you do you a bad job. You can move the team. if You're allowed to move the team if you do a
1: bad I job. see. I see. I thought it was just like a weird low <laughs> standards it's, thing. Yeah, it's have. like, you
0: have to move to Florida if you fuck up bad enough. It's the law. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm wondering if a similar thing is happening with this, where she inherited Hive and she's just like, ugh, I don't like living in the Rockies. It's too cold here. If I do a bad enough job running Hive, if I get all of these underlings killed, if I keep hiring mustachioed drunkards like Rudy, oh. then I can legally move <laughs> the organization underwater.
1: Well, she moved underwater and I don't think Rudy made the cut because I, I miss Rudy and I didn't,
0: I didn't see him here. I wasn't sure if we saw Rudy or not. I think you're right. I think Rudy didn't make the cut. But when Jericho takes over that other dude's body, he, that other dude also has a weird, inscrutable, possibly drunk accent. Uh, and I was wondering if maybe just Rudy shaved his mustache off.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I, I did read him kind of Barney from The Simpsons sounding.
0: Yeah, that you know, like Rudy. Uh, let, let's take a look at number 32, who may or may not, and probably isn't, I don't think it's Rudy's right. dialogue, as Jericho. Sorry. Maybe it's Jericho. I was thinking that. I think Jericho is maybe just drunk all the time, <laughs> and he's making, he jumps into the other body, he's like, "Yes, sorry, this guy just always talks like this. It's yeah, because like, he can't normally talk, right? So nobody right. would know. Right, but when he jumps into the body, he's like, man, my whole body hurts, Raven, what'd you do to them? Ha 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 ha! And then yeah Starfire says I can't get over the way Jericho talks in their voice when he takes over someone unconscious. Mm. So I feel like they have to give them weird accents to really drive that point home that that's a nuance of Jericho's powers. But I wish they'd just gone with different accents and like maybe he could have been it's a me, Jericho. Hey. <laughs> oh. Oh, no. I'm I in this evil body now. <laughs> oh shit but instead it's always somebody who sounds kind of drunk so i think it might just be that jericho is kind of drunk i mean he's a very high functioning alcoholic if that's the case
1: man i'd probably have to do something like that if that was my shtick too like how awkward and weird is that just taking over Uh, other yeah other people's bodies and seeing what's in their heads and oh That's part of it, right? He can sort of tell what they were up to in the last few hours, at least.
0: Yeah, the, the last things that they were thinking. Yeah, any kind of telepathy would be it would, such a mind fuck. but especially it seems like he's mostly taking over evil people's minds mm-hmm. when he's not taking over Dick's body and making him do a funny little dance. That was priceless. I wish he would do that more often. I feel like every time he takes over somebody else's body, he should A, make up a fun accent for them, and two... Take him do a funny little dance. I bet he's a drunk. I bet, I yeah, he's got a pint of wild turkey
1: hidden in that cape, I think. <laughs> just, yeah, he's got a flagon of mead tucked
0: under his
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's probably more accurate. He's got a real Renfair kind of vibe going yeah. on.
0: Strong mead, though. Oh, the strongest we've got. Like ice wine. Mm. So, there is definitely a highlight to this issue. We've talked about a few of the lowlights. But I think definitely the highlight of this issue is Aqualad's back! Yay! Not only is he back, but he decided to leave his shirt at home. He's looking pretty strong these days. Oh, he's ripped as fuck. It is weird to see him shirtless but still having the boots and gloves on and just a little speedo. It gives him a decidedly, like, Chippendale-style look.
1: (laughs) It is silly, isn't it? It
0: seems like he should be wearing a little bow tie with it, too. Oh, no. (laughs) Now... I think there's a couple of possibilities to why Aqualad is now dressed this way. I mean, possibly his shirt was just damaged irreparably when he was fighting Hive last time on his way to the Titan Tower. And I think that's what we're supposed to believe. There are a couple other possibilities that I would like us to entertain. One, he's just read some Defenders comics and is just like, man, Namor has it fucking going on. That dude knows what's up. You know what's a good look for an underwater dude? Speedo. Speedo. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing from now on. I think that's a strong possibility. I like to think that that might be the case. I think the most likely scenario, though, is he is fucking with Dick. Dick's just super proud of himself. He got himself a new outfit, starts getting a real deep V, showing off a little chest. And Aqualad's like, oh, yeah, I got a new costume, too. Just takes his shirt off. (laughs) And you'll notice Dick is strangely quiet in this issue. Doesn't really do a heck of a lot. Other than, you know, lead them into a trap. hmm Cause that's what he does. Yeah. But uh I think he's kinda sulking. I think he's just like, God damn it, I was gonna show off my chest. It's like first Jericho upstages me <laughs> <laughs> and now Aqualad. Oh my god. So tired of this. God. You know what? I'm just gonna lead us all into a trap. Fine, see how they like it. See if they even notice <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I talk like this now. <laughs> Yeah, that's mostly what's going on with the undersea fight. Dick leads everybody into a trap. Again. It seems like supervillains, when they are laying out traps for the Teen Titans, we saw this with Brother Blood before, have a tendency to overestimate the Teen Titans, I think. Because both in that scenario with Brother Blood and in this one, they say, "Uh, we'll make it easy for them. And both times they nearly kill all of the Titans. Mm -hmm. Like, the Titans struggle, their sub blows up, they barely make it through this thing, and it is in fact this overly elaborate trap where if they had died during the process, Hive would have apparently been kind of fucked because they want to capture them alive. I think people think that the Titans are better at their job than they are. That could be, but it's
1: also screwed up because the way that the comic book basically ends is with ostensibly the destruction of the Titans because they have been captured.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: In a room that's actually a little bullet-shaped, or a large bullet-shaped thing. It's so stupid. That you then launch into the ocean to explodify.
0: So, like, yeah, she makes a big point of, like, no, we don't want them to die yet, just in a regular explosion under the sea, because I want to kill them in this explosion under the sea. Also, you tried to kill them at the base in the Rockies. Do you want them to die or not? It's very inconsistent. She's all over the map on this one. I don't get it. I don't either. Do you think that's a real dove, or do you think she just has a a stuffed dove? Hmm. It's probably not
1: real, or it's at least sedated or something.
0: Oh, you think they doped up that bird? Also, it would just poop over everything. And peck at her. Yeah. so
1: Birds are the worst. It's probably sedated and got a little diaper or something. (laughs) I don't know
0: how they did that, but... I sent you that picture. There's apparently this shield that's from the 1500s that has a picture of an owl on it and this long scrolling thing that's in Latin. Yeah, yeah. And it translates to, Though I am hated by all birds everywhere, I nevertheless rather enjoy this fact. It's so good. I think we might have to get tattoos. That is the dopest owl. It's really good. That is a good motto, too. And, you know, yeah, sorry. You just own it. Yep. Birds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to fucking dope up a bird and make it wear a diaper just so that I can pretend it's my friend. It's bullshit. Yeah. Fucking hive lady who... Does she have a name? We didn't get her name, I don't think. Okay. I think we've spent enough time on the what you think should have been five pages Mm -hmm. that was underwater. Yep. A lot of cool fish stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. A lot of cool fish stuff. And uh, Aqualad and Tula throw some... uh, 300 pound stalagmites of coral like javelins and we find out that they're both really good at javelins. Tula is tough. Tula is tough as fuck. She mm-hmm. does a great fight with everybody and talks about how Aqualad doesn't understand that Atlantis is a city that grew up under siege, so everybody there is tough as shit. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Yep. There's some fun intra-couple fight banter. I think we get that with both Starfire and Dick. And with Tula and Aqualad, Mm -hmm. kind of parallels of them whooping a bunch of bad guys ass and calling each other honey and talking fun. I think the Aqualad Aquagirl banter was a little bit more fun, but it was nice to see them engaging in couples activities. It was cute. Yes. Oh, and the one other thing that is, I think, noteworthy that happens under the sea, other than the the Raven interlude, is that uh, Starfire has a brief talk with Wonder Girl where she's like, hey, Remember when I was engaged to that guy and Hive murdered him? That was weird. Anyway, I was super killy then. Now I'm uh, less murdery. Yeah, and Wonder Girl starts to reply. Like, yeah, totally. And then gets distracted by something. Because I think they just wanted to drop that in there. Mm-hmm. But that was like kind of just a weird interlude. Yeah, I guess they were trying to show Starfire becoming more human in a way. Yes, I think there are probably better ways to to do that than her just basically saying, hey, I'm feeling a lot more human these days. Like, out of nowhere, apropos of nothing. And also, though, that humanness is demonstrated by,
1: I just want to stop them, not kill them. Yeah. Like, that's not super accurate in terms of how humans deal with conflict historically. No.
0: Stupid humans. Human fools. Mm. They're the worst. Let's talk about uh, Ravens dealy. Yeah, she goes all uh, Trigon-y for a minute there. Yep. And then Aqualad shows up and she hits Aqualad and she's just like, Oh my god, what have I done? I've hit Aqualad. He's the best. Yeah, that really snapped her out of it. Which is nice. And then she does her standard, which I feel like she's done several times in the past, is the other Titans are like, maybe you should just... And she's like, yeah, I'll go wait in the car. Yeah. She did that when they were fighting in space. And yeah, she does that this time where she's like, yes, I'll go guard the submarine. It's like that one friend that just goes too far.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's like, oh, shit. Now he's here. (laughs) It's
0: nice that she recognizes it. That's true. Yeah, because that one friend's usually not like, oh, I'll stop drinking after this one. Yeah. That's the friend who is just like yelling at the cop. Why can't you guys be cool? Yeah. (laughs) it's Like, no, they're not going to be cool. They're cops. (laughs) Stop that. The other thing that Raven does is I feel like for an empath, she projects kind of a lot. And she does that to Jericho when they're having a chat earlier. She's talking about how Tara sucked and the team's all fucked up. And then she just turns to Jericho and she says, Joseph, have you ever wondered if they will ever be able to truly accept you? And you see Jericho's face and he just looks crestfallen. he's... He's just like, what? I thought they liked me. I didn't see that one coming either. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It really is just kind of out of nowhere. Oh, I thought things were going good. What? what? I feel like that's supposed to be the way Raven feels about herself, maybe. Or she is just like giving Joseph a heads up that maybe nobody likes him. Again, it's like that one friend who's just like, dude, you didn't need to go there. (laughs) Yeah, that's not hopeful. Yeah, Raven is definitely that Titan's one friend. Mm -hmm. That's like that. Yep. That kind of takes care of the undersea adventures. Above ground, we got other shit happening. I guess that, uh, Beast Boy's still going off the deep end because we get a brief interlude where we meet a detective nicknamed Tank because his last name is, er, his first name or last name is Sherman. Detective Sherman. Okay, so it's his last name. Uh, So he's nicknamed Tank. Mm -hmm. And he is interviewing a potential mugging victim who was saved by a giant green tiger who came out of nowhere and savaged the mugger. Tiger Vigilante. Indeed. Kind of glad to know that uh, Beast Boy is still overly emotionally uh, out there savaging criminals. I liked that side of him much better than the usual side of him. Seemed a lot more effective anyway. Yeah, and I like to picture that he is still doing what he did in the last issue which is crying and yelling at them as his in-fight banter. So scary. It really is scary. It was making me think like you know what would be like the scariest thing he could say during a fight is if he just started calling them mommy. Yeah. He's just like "Mommy, why?" Yeah. And then just starts crying and <laughs> it's like ah. I would totally run away if during a fight somebody called me mommy and then turned into a giant green tiger. Honestly, them turning into a ti- green tiger would be the less scary part of that. <laughs> yeah, unsettling. Yeah. I guess keep it up, Beast Boy? Yeah, I mean... It seems like he maybe did send that one dude to the hospital. The, the mugger guy. Which... There was this thing, though, in, in these
1: comics where, like, death is starting to become a thing, but it's still... They have this code, right? Of you can injure as much as is necessary, but don't do it too much. And it seems like he's he's crossed that line. So yeah, he's
0: crossed that... the line from stopping to maiming. Yeah. people. Which he's I don't not know. all the way on onto killing. He's uh, ver- veering into Shadow Hawk territory. <laughs> Did you ever read that comic that came out in the nineties? Shadowhawk. Hawk? No, I don't think so. It was one of the early image comics and the guy's whole thing was like I feel like it was really flirting with the line that heroes don't kill but it was a dude that was wearing a metal mask and his whole thing was he just broke people's spines
1: like just to stop like them that from... was
0: his one thing like that was his one move was he would break people's spines and then they'd be paralyzed Criminals? Yes. so oh, okay. Should have specified. <laughs> just yes, criminals. The sake, that's the word. But I feel like he's, uh, yeah, he's veering into that kind of territory where it's just like, yeah, I guess he's not killing them, but I only maimed him. I'm just a tiger. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> oh. It is kind of weird that the other police officers are like, here's the crazy part. Tell him what kind of animal it was. He's right, it does sound crazy, but that animal who tore him in half? It was a tiger. A green tiger. Okay, that is weird for us. I feel like that would be less weird than if a different animal had just come and nearly torn a dude apart in the middle of New York. Like a
1: giraffe or a kangaroo?
0: Yeah, I think those would be a lot weirder, especially where they know there is a hero who fights criminals who turns into green animals. It's a good point. I feel like, as a detective, Tank here should have just been like, oh, then it was probably Beast Boy. Instead, he was just like, I want to get home to my Epsom salts and Johnny Carson. God, I love Johnny Carson. I'm going to miss him saying goodnight. I can't sleep unless he does. So weird. So that's Beast Boy. Which leaves us with... Cyborg. Yeah. Corky.
1: Corky. Where does that... I have a note to myself. Like, why... How, where does that come from? Well,
0: I think we talked about it before. It used to be that uh, if a kid was having trouble sleeping, you'd uh, give him a little bit of booze. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably they just used to give him a lot of wine when he was a kid. Oh, well, that's right. And that's right. so, yeah, Corky, okay. probably.
1: Oh, yep. A little drunken rapscallion. <laughs> oh,
0: you old ragamuffin. Yeah, that's probably what that is from. But yeah, we get the interlude with Corky's grandparents, Tucker and Maud. It doesn't make any sense. Like soup to nuts. I didn't hate it. I like Tucker and Maude a lot. They seem like a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. The interaction doesn't make any sense. First of all, we saw last issue. They broke into his apartment when he was out to wait for him inside. Mm -hmm. We see in this that once they get inside, they set up a ton, like probably three or four shopping carts worth of plants. plants. yeah. They didn't have those with them. They no, didn't they have, had, like, any luggage with went, them. They went out and got them. So they broke into the apartment. Yeah, and they were like, man, this place needs some sprucing up. You know what makes a house a home. How long was Victor out? I got the impression that they just, like, broke in and were waiting for him. He was walking around looking for uh, Beast Boy. Yeah, but he wasn't out that long. It's only Beast Boy. I don't know, I th- I don't know what to tell you. There's yeah. no other explanation.
1: They came with the plants. The plants were already there. I don't know. Maybe well, there's
0: some kind of, like, uh... Took them from the apartment next door. Un- not herbicidal. Uh, mm-hmm. the opposite of Herbicidal that. Herbicidal maniac? <laughs> no, no. Uh, like, uh, some kind of plant wizard. Maybe they, they got some, like, uh, poison ivy-type powers. Like, they're plant whisperers. Oh, I see. So, they, like, they had some tiny plants, mm-hmm. and they brought them with them, and then they grew them. Mm-hmm. Green thumb. Yeah. It just seemed like a weird thing, and it wasn't like... If their whole thing is that they're gadabouts who travel from place to place, and they're globetrotters, and they're constantly touring the Earth, it's not like they're gonna want to make every situation that they're in super homey and have like a ton of stuff and clutter everywhere. It seems like a weird choice and not something that is necessarily in their character that they would want to just set up a ton of plants there. Man, you have thought about this more than I have. If you're constantly not in the same place, then you can't have plants. You need to take care of and water them over a long period of time. I don't think they brought them with them. Well, then that's a weird hobby for them to have. It's a weird thing for them to be insistent upon. I think they just showed up and they were like, this apartment's kind of drab and we
1: should warm it up So you for think... Corky. So let's go nick some plants.
0: Oh, so you think they stole the plants too?
1: It's a possibility. Okay. Maybe they just lockpicked all the other apartments <laughs> and collected the plants and brought them back to Corky's place.
0: Okay. I can see that. That maybe makes the most sense. If it's like a spur-of-the-moment personality quirk thing that they're just like, Hey, plants! Let's Mm -hmm. get all the plants! Okay, that part, I guess if we're viewing it in that context, makes sense. You're welcome. What doesn't make sense is the weird speech that Maude delivers. They show up. Victor sees them. This part doesn't make any sense either. He sees them. They've set up the plants. And he's just like... Get the hell out of my apartment. Get out of here. I never want to see you. You're terrible grandparents and you were terrible parents. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he wouldn't think that. I'm saying he's known they were coming for a while. He's been preparing for their visit. He cleaned his apartment. He cleaned his apartment and was like talking to Beast Boy about like, I didn't have time to talk to you about your feelings because I was getting ready for my grandparents visit. Was his whole getting ready just preparing that little speech in his head? That seemed off. Agreed. He tells them that they're terrible parents and they were are worse grandparents because, and this is reasonable, they never showed up for their son's funeral and they never inquired about him or came to see him when he was recovering from his life-threatening life injuries and being made into a robot man. Right. Those are valid gripes. Tucker's response, which is kind of half-haversed, is, well, we didn't hear about our son dying right away because we were kind of off the grid. And then when we did... There was a circus and a cruise. Those are not good excuses. <laughs> the first excuse is great. Like, we're in the yeah, jungle. We're, we're in the jungle. D- we we couldn't it. be contacted. But then it's like... He should have stopped. Sh- yeah. Right full, there. Full stop. Don't say. And then we went to the circus and we're on a cruise. It's like, I would have come to the funeral, but have you been to the Bahamas? <laughs> it's <laughs> so nice. It's really good there. Oh, gosh. I know that... You were hurting and you were in a lot of pain. But ice cream is so good. Boat drinks. (laughs) So not best foot forward there, Tucker. Nope. Which is why at this point, Maude takes over and gives the following speech, which I'm going to read the speech. I'm not going to do the dialect because it's kind of rough. Maude slaps Cyborg in the face, which is delightful. And she says... I don't care if you're some hotshot superstar, but you don't talk to your grandparents like that. You're as mule-headed as your father. Gonna tell you something. That Silas would have told you, but he died first. Your daddy, our son, was ashamed of us. Because of our work on the stage. Hell, we strutted and sang for a living so Silas could do what he did. Trouble is, he was crazy over the way things looked. Hell, I swear he probably wished he could be white just to forget how he grew up. Okay, that part all makes sense. Yeah, it was tough, but it was the same for all black kids then. You did what you had to do, okay? He didn't want us around. But your mom always wrote and told us how you and Silas fought tooth and nail. He didn't want you to struggle like he had to, like Tucker had to. Here's where it takes a weird turn. But when Silas was dying, it was like his eyes opened for the first time. He learned that it's integrity, not skin color, that says if you're a man or not. That isn't what you just said about him. At all, and also the thing where you said that he wished he was white was something that you just admitted that you made up and you think might have been the case. Now you're speculating as to what he was thinking when he was dying, when you were still overseas. And then she concludes, Silas was a man, Tucker's a man, and if I know my men, so are you. But you've got to remember where you were before you can see where you're going. That speech makes Cyborg say, Oh, Grandma, I love you. And then they hug and he is like, yeah, you can call me Corky. I don't understand what just happened. Yep. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, we have the same read on it. I yeah. was with it for the first bit.
0: And like... it's like, this is going someplace interesting. And then there's this abrupt turn where, yeah, when she brings in the idea that then he realized that we should all be colorblind. It's like, um. So it starts off wait, with. what? Yeah, she's
1: basically giving an explanation of like, hey, your dad is the reason why we haven't been part of your life. Right. But then he died and I think that he regretted it.
0: So it's cool. And then Cyborg's <laughs> like,
1: yeah, I love you, Grandma.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right? I guess maybe at that point he's just like, oh, Grandma and Grandpa are really old. They're not making a lot of sense. Um, I think they might be suffering from dementia. I don't have that much time with them. Okay, bygones are bygones. Mm-hmm. That's really the only context in which his reaction to that speech elicits him being like, it's cool that you were on a cruise and at the circus when my dad, my dad was having, having a funeral and I was being turned into a robot man. Yeah. Yeah, he forgives very quickly. He's quick to anger and quick to forgiveness. Mm. It sucks because I do like the idea of the character of, characters of Maude and Tucker. I think most of like the setup for their relationship with the dad and the dad's reaction to Cyborg in that way, like he kind of makes sense. But there's, like I said, I wish there was a copy editor. I wish there was somebody going over this and saying like, okay, you make this turn here. That doesn't make sense. Let's see if we can iron this out. Because I think there's a decent story somewhere in that. But it's not as it's presented and it doesn't make sense. Agree. Would have benefited from another set of thoughts. Mm-hmm. And eyes, and ears, All and a nose—the whole, whole <laughs> shebang. A limbic system, so that they can process the emotions of what's happening. It's a fancy term. Gotta have that. You gotta have it. Gotta. Yep. Um, Some lymph nodes. Oh, of <laughs> course you gotta have lymph nodes. Don't want to get sick. Lungs. Oh, uh, need to have lungs. No air. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah, you gotta get that air to aerate the blood. So you need a heart, veins. Uh, feet yep that settles it (laughs) nerves (laughs) alright
1: you know what you you know what let's give this guy some hair okay I think that settles it
0: yep this is a pretty good editor we've just put together I should say so alright editing well was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into the minutiae no we're good okay Rick would you mind singing us into the minutiae? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Cory, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? I think I liked on
1: page seven when Aqualad had a whale smack another guy with
0: the whale's tail and it made the noise. That's pretty fun. I liked that also. I like when he tells whales what to do, and then they do that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure my favorite two sound effects both sound like the word bathroom. Oh, I had I had that one, too. The one that starts with... At the very end, bah. there's... bah That's pretty fun. sounds way. kind of I like bathroom. But it doesn't sound quite as much like bathroom as earlier when Aqualad and Tula throw their coral javelins at some... I guess, uh, underwater ski-doos? And they explode, and it makes the noise, Bafoom! (laughs) I had that written down, page six. Oh, boy. Good times. Well, when you're surrounded by that much water, you're gonna have to go to the Bafoom. (laughs) Bafoom. Let's talk about clothes. Okay. Sartorially speaking, what elements of fashion did you feel were worthy of note? Oh, Tucker and Maud, you guys are a delight. They really are. Tucker's outfit particularly is a real treat. He is wearing a yellow floral print shirt with some nice blue plaid slacks. And he just looks great. He looks cool. He is power clashing. hmm And that is hard to pull off, but Tucker manages to make it work. And you like Maud's outfit as well? Absolutely. She has like a big, like a Sunday hat, a
1: church hat. Mm-hmm. And a nice dress. And together, they like bright, festive, happy colors, nice outfits. Yeah. Good for decorating
0: apartments and... Berating your grandson. Slapping <laughs> your grandson. <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. I should get some some good grandson slapping outfits. <laughs> yeah? I mean, I'm not going to slap... I don't have a grandson. You're going to have to wait a while. <laughs> you want to be prepared. Mm. What outfit would you wear to slap your grandson? Oh, yeah, probably some slacks. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think I have any like any a sw- patterned a Sweater pants. vest. I've got a I've got a nice like almost optical illusion like rayon shirt that I inherited from an old roommate. Mm-hmm. You know the brown and white patterned one. Sure. I feel like that would be a good grandson slapping outfit.
1: Yeah, but it's got to be
0: really noticeably like elderly clothing so that you can. Kinda... Well, I think by the time by that time it'll be elderly. It's from the '70s, so I'll look older than I was because I wouldn't have worn that when it was a popular look. Mm.
1: but everything comes back again
0: oh God! so you're
1: probably gonna need to get like some jeans and a hoodie
0: (laughs) oh man (laughs) i saw a dude the other day who came into the theater who he looked kind of like sam elliott he had like a big droopy gray mustache was an older gentleman but he was wearing like a hoodie and shorts and converse all-stars and so i nicknamed him in my mind Skate punk Sam Elliott.
1: <laughs> Did he have a Sam Elliott voice?
0: A little bit. Wow. He's a very nice man, but like I kept wanting him to give me the sideways mustache look and do the, well, sometimes you gleam the cube. Sometimes cube gleams you. Mm. But yeah, I like Tucker's outfit. Mm-hmm. I like Mod's outfit. Good outfits. Good outfits. Um, other than that, we I think we already talked about uh, Aqualad's new shirtless look, kind of chipping hmm
1: Yeah,
0: the Hive Queen had a I mean, it's like she had the hive robe sitting around and then was just like, you know what, let's gussy these up a little bit. Possibly in a Cinderella type situation, she could have had that weird diaper bird that she's hanging out with, uh, help her sew some shit onto it. Uh. Probably has some doped up mice too, helping her uh, alter her garments. Yeah. Did you have a timestamp in this issue? Something that happened that let you know what era this issue took place in. Uh, It's not a very good one
1: because his reign in late night television was so long. But I had to go with uh, Sherman Tank's love of Johnny Carson telling him goodnight.
0: I had the same thing and I had the same issue with it. The way I decided to do a slight workaround of this was that, yes, he was watching Johnny Carson... But what makes it more of a specific time is that he wasn't staying up to watch Letterman yet, because Letterman was still on the ascent. The Letterman show debuted in 82, but it hadn't really uh, risen to its height of popularity yet. So I feel like if it had been a little bit later, rather than staying up until Johnny Carson said goodnight, he would stay on later to see Chris Elliott do his Marlon Brando impression on the uh, late night with David Letterman. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> That's the timestamp. Okay, wow. Nice. <laughs> nice work. Thank you. Corey? Yes? Let's take this party to the Bozo. Okay. What instance of a character calling another character a Bozo do you feel is worthy of our attention? I had two. I think probably the
1: more strongly worded one is the better, but I'll start with the weaker one. Okay. And the weaker one was Raven who we don't often find berating people that aren't the Teen Titans, saying one of the Hive members was too dense to understand
0: what was going on. Oh, that's a pretty good one. I had two that were both from Raven. Oh, really? One of them is she refers to the now-deceased Terra as a Quizzling. I had to look that up. That was an interesting learning for me. I I like that word. I was not aware of its origin. I knew its meaning, but I did look it up and uh, Mm -hmm. was like, ooh, yeah means a uh a traitor a collaborator it's a good word it is a good word and it's named after a norwegian politician who sided with the nazis mm-hmm. so yeah fuck that guy and good word
1: raven yep and if you don't want your name to become an insult in history don't do shit
0: like that good call thank you the other one that i went with was as i said also from raven when she's decided not to let trigons be bygones she grabs one of the hive dudes and says, Human garbage! <laughs> the daughter of Trigon cannot be stopped.
1: Human garbage. That's... Human
0: garbage is really good. I think that's going in my rotation. That is, that is
1: pretty good. That is pretty good. I had, I guess, on a somewhat lighter note, Maud referring to Cyborg as a self-centered brat.
0: Tough but fair. All right. Let your grandparents go on a cruise. And enjoy the circus. A piece of human garbage. <laughs> oh! It would have been different. I, I maybe would have enjoyed it more if Mod had called Cyborg uh, human garbage. And Raven the hive Man, a self-centered brat. Ooh, that would have been nice, too. Yeah, a little switcheroo, those mm-hmm. insults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Quickly, before we move on to the next category, I do want to note that the Mebby count for this issue is two two mebbies two mebbies not the highest count we've had but considering the fact that tara is dead and gar who had been picking up her slack does not appear in this issue i think two is a respectable number we get one from Mog, and we get one from uh detective tank mm. so two mebbies not bad the artwork in this issue was characteristically and as we've come to expect beautiful top notch What was your favorite panel?
1: I know we have some overlap here, so I'm going to go with one that I think maybe doesn't overlap. Okay. And it's on page four in the middle of the page, and it features Nightwing, and I call it Trap. (laughs) He says, our sonar jammers seem to be working. I don't think they know we're out here.
0: Still, be ready. This could be a trap.
1: He knows it's a goddamn trap and
0: he's going straight into it. That's what you do when you're a Titan. That's what you do, especially when you're Robin or Nightwing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I think that is a good panel. It's well drawn too. It is. I think maybe he is leading them into a trap on purpose for old time's sake, because it's nice for him to have a little reunion moment with Wonder Girl and Aqualad. He's like, you know what? For old time's sake, let's go into a trap like we used to.
1: Or he's just pouting about the whole shirtless thing.
0: I think that's another possibility.
1: (laughs) I'll be the center of attention after I get us into this trap. You jerks. Maybe I should take
0: my pants off. (laughs) Again. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a very good panel. Another one that I enjoyed a great deal was the aforementioned cyborg getting slapped in the face by his grandmother. (laughs) You see the impact point of the slap. She's not playing. She really whacks him. No, and it looks like he kind of sees it coming and is just like, ugh, I don't like this. And you see it, like, pushing his mouth over to one side. It is some very good facial characterization on that. It's just a nice panel. And I gotta say, it's gratifying to see him get slapped, if for no other reason than on the previous page when he first shows up in his apartment— His grandparents are so happy to see him, and he is such a jerk to them. You can make the argument, and I don't think it's a bad argument, that he has definitely a right to have a beef with them. But still, seeing him be mean to characters that I like is rough. Yeah, it was hard. Even if they did decide to go on a cruise when their son died. Mm -hmm. The other one that I liked a lot is... No! Ah, page, page nine. Indeed, and that is Tula getting hit with some kind of a hive high-tech weapon that makes a big red and yellow spiral. hmm And her silhouette is falling off of the panel and screaming no. Very artsy. Mm-hmm. Very good. Not too fartsy. Well. Just right.
1: We'll never know. Maybe it was a fart weapon. Maybe that's why she's like, <laughs> no! <laughs>
0: Ooh, do you think maybe that's how she became Hive Queen, is that she had the spiciest poop? It ranked <laughs> at number one. Do <laughs> you think they have the measurement devices? Like, remember when we were joking about those high-tech toilets that would
1: weigh it and talk to you? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. very good, sir.
0: They've probably got one of those.
1: Yeah. Vice, a viceroy and every... <laughs> every What is what is the room in a boat or headquarters called? Uh... There's like a military the word. For
0: galley? That. No, that's the kitchen. You don't want to be <laughs>
1: pooping in there. Cubicle? That's not cubicle. Barracks? No, that's the uh, whole thing. The brig? No, nope, that's the jail.
0: Um have we talked about the fact that there's a scene in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Disney movie with Kirk Douglas, where he is thrown in the brig, the ship is being attacked, and the brig is starting to take on water? Get me out of this glory hole. That one. (laughs) Yeah, where he starts screaming, get me out of this glory hole. We had to rewind to that and look at it with the captions on underneath. And that is definitely what he was saying. And so I think maybe it's called a glory hole. (laughs) Anyway, but uh, fancy toilet in every room, yeah. What Corey was discussing earlier was that we had an idea for a toilet that would, um, a line of toilets, a line of toilets that we would call the viceroy because it's fancy. Well, that's that's the well, it's the vi- right
1: wait, is it Admiral more? Because there was like a whole nautical, there... yeah, there's a Which series of them. Admiral's at the top, yeah, but viceroy sounds cool too. Oh, well, yeah, right, right. I mean, not everybody can afford an Admiral, right? Commodore, that's right, yeah, because yeah. it sounds like code. Um,
0: It's a line of toilets in which it would have a sensor on the toilet seat that would weigh you both before and after you finished uh, doing your business and would tell you how much your poop weighed as a (laughs) result and announce it in a classy British voice. Yeah. It's like, 3.4 ounces. Very good, sir. (laughs) Hot drawer. Well done, governor. (laughs) Who wouldn't pay for that? So yeah, I do think that the... (laughs) hive has well, a lot of those but it also somehow has a scoville scale on it too <laughs> it has to it, i mean it must right. how else are you gonna rank spicy poops it's, and uh that's gotta believe finance. that's how she became the
1: leader that's how they can afford their rocky mountain hideaway and the undersea thing they, they're selling viceroys and admirals
0: uh, left and right all around the world oh by the way i am mailing this podcast to myself patent pending patent pending don't steal my idea yeah Hive. Or whoever you are? It's Hive. Okay. They're the ones who want to steal my idea for fancy talking toilets that weigh your poops. <laughs> Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? I just assumed I would go with Aqualad because
1: he's in the issue.
0: Okay, make an argument for him being the best Titan in this issue. He. Shows up Robin by going shirtless. Okay. He snaps Raven out of her Trigon-fueled kill frenzy. Just by being so great that she can't believe that she hit She's him. She's like, oh my god, I hurt Aqualad. <laughs> not Aqualad! I am the worst. What have I done? Yep. He's very brave and
1: shows great care for Tula, even though it's not really needed. That She has a little comment about, like, "Ah, oh, it's kind of cute that he's so protective, even though he's basically a land lubber now. Mm-hmm. So,
0: those are three things. Okay. You convinced me. Aqualad's the best. Thank you. I didn't really need convincing. I had him, too. Oh. Backup. up, I had Aqua Girl. I thought uh, Tula did a very nice job in this issue. She uh, kicked a lot of ass, threw some good javelins, mm-hmm. as did Aqualad. Oh, yeah. He used a whale's tail to knock some guys out. That was Yeah, great. that's a pretty good move. Yeah. Well, that's that. As a backup, I had Raven for knowing that she needed to go wait in the car. I know. They, like... <laughs> They're like, maybe you should. just like, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. I'll wait in the sub. Do, 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 she made it sound do, good, do. though. She's
1: like, I'll go guard the submarine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that needs to happen. I know. I'm in deep right field. <laughs> yep. Conversely, who did you have as your Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans?
1: Oh man, this is, with no Speedy and no Wally around and no Terra, this is getting
0: a little difficult.
1: Getting a little difficult. But for
0: the aforementioned reason of, hey everybody, let's go into a trap. I'm in charge. Uh huh. I chose Nightwing. I think you're right, and I think that it probably is because he's sulking <laughs> about uh, Aqualad being more shirtless than he. Right? That's a terrible reason to bring everybody into a trap. I know. Bad Nightwing. You almost called him Nighthawk. I almost did, but I caught myself at the very last minute. Good job. Well, Corey, I just have one final question for you. Waspoot. What is Speedy probably up to? Indeed, we know what Aqualad is probably up to. Normally at this point in the podcast, we would be asking Wapoot. But seeing as we know what he's up to, let's check in on the worst Teen Titan and see what Speedy is probably up to. So, with Spoot. So,
1: I believe last time we had left off with Speedy about to get in really big trouble for trying to steal all that oil and then accidentally lighting it on fire and (laughs) causing that giant oil spill slash fire. Uh-huh. So, yeah, there were repercussions. There were cops and ambulances and all of that. So, he was on the run. He was like, I need to get out of the country. I need to go somewhere where I can hide out. But also somewhere where I can still stay high. Where would that be? And so around this time in the 80s, Western Africa was unfortunately in a position of being a sort of conduit that was fueling the European appetite for drugs, for cocaine and and marijuana, especially. Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yes. So lots of corruption, lots lots of drugs were flowing through there to Europe. So he found himself in Nigeria and also found himself, as he often does, with really nothing but his skills shall we say to use to try and find food shelter and uh, and drugs so he's basically hired himself out as a tough guy to the local goons oh and local goons in this case being members of the government of uh, muhammadu buhari who you know ostensibly came to power in, in what is one of the more you know clear and democratic elections that had taken place in nigeria at that point however there still was A big conflict between him and uh, the famous musician, inventor of Afropop, Fela Kuti. Oh. Yes. Who, at that time, was overseas, but when he came back, was basically taken and jailed for uh, currency fraud. Really? Which it later turned out was a sham, and the judge that basically sentenced him later apologized to him and said, hey, the government was leaning on me. I had to do it. I'm really sorry, man. And also, a lot of the people that would have come and testified for him were basically leaned on not to do that. And it turns out that the person... Doing the leaning? Doing the leaning was speedy.
0: Oh, jeez. So... Just think of what a great collaboration there could have been between Fela Kuti and the Great Frog. I know. It's like a... It could have just gone
1: in such a more positive oh, direction. Oh, boy. But he just... And again, he was not in the best space that he could have been in. But also there are some underlying character flaws <laughs>
0: with, this, with this person that led to Fela getting jailed. Wow. For that long. Wow. And that's what Speedy was probably up to (laughs) in the month of our Lord, September, and the year of our Lord, 1984. That's correct. Wow. That was like the least bad
1: thing that I could find. There were some messed up things going on (laughs) at that time.
0: I found some less bad things for him to be up to. Oh, good. And I mean, less bad, but still bad. (laughs) For example, Speedy found himself in the need of some entertainment. And he thought to himself, you know what's a hilarious... Not at all problematic film with some protagonists that a guy like me can really root for and get behind. (laughs) Animal House. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably my favorite movie. Hilarious and not all worried about being politically correct. I could go for a movie like that right about now. So he goes to the theaters and he sees, oh, this new movie stars one of the stars of my Speedy's favorite film, Animal House. Tom Hulse. He stars in Amadeus. So he went and saw Amadeus, (laughs) and boy was he disappointed. (laughs) He was like, ooh, boy, this isn't anything like Animal House. Where are their hilarious racist hijinks? it kind of bummed him out watching the movie because it, it's kind of a meditation on, like, the nature of genius and, like, the jealousy that you feel being mediocre in the face of genius. And uh, he found himself identifying a bit too hard with Salieri. He's like, yeah, man, I'm really Salieri to day's. <laughs> um, I, I just, I can't, I can't, I, I can't deal with the, these feelings that it's bringing up. So he, he found solace in the music, of, of Jefferson Starship. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he's like, man, I mean, I never got into Jefferson Airplane, but Starship is really speaking to me. And so he was really jamming on this song, laying it on the line that peaked at number 66 on the pop charts that month. Whoop. And he's just like, man, I got to I gotta go party with those guys. These guys know how to rock since they gave up all that artsy-fartsy shit uh, for being... Jefferson Airplane, the Starship shit is my groove. So he heads out to San Francisco. When he gets there, he, uh, can't find Jefferson Starship, but he still starts partying with the next best thing, Joe Montana. (laughs) What? Yeah, he ran into Joe Montana, and, uh, he just ended up partying way too hard and got Joe Montana all fucked up. And Joe Montana, as a result, on September 26th, missed his first start. (laughs) in 49 starts oh no, as the starting quarterback for ironically the 49ers oh man as the result of partying too hard with speedy and that was what speedy was probably up to oh speedy yeah man what a piece of shit that speedy is yeah damn oh. anyway thanks for hanging out with us everybody <laughs> <laughs> sorry to end things on such a bummer but that's what happens when you let speedy take the wheel Thanks for your patience. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, thanks for bearing with us when I had to miss an episode last week. Uh, I try very hard not to do that, and I think that's the first time we've had an unscheduled missed episode in close to four years now. Despite international travel and national travel. And a bout of pneumonia and all kinds of Holidays. Injuries. I guess what I'm saying is we're great and we're sorry and thank you. If you'd like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland.gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, The Instagram page is run by Lisa. And uh, yeah, we're all up in the internets. Get into touch with us any way you can. If you'd like to leave us a review on Apple Music or whatever it's calling itself these days, that would be nice helps people find the show, which is something that I would like them to do. If you would like to donate monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do that, then you will get exclusive access to the show that Lisa and I do called What the Duck? A podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. A wonderful program whose title does indeed have diminishing returns, but that comes out monthly and it's uh, us covering Howard the Duck and it's a lot of fun. I think we might do a special episode about the Howard the Duck movie soon. So if you're on the fence about donating, now would be a time to check that out. (laughs) Because if you have any doubts, the Howard the Duck movie is the thing
1: that'll change your mind. Oh,
0: yes, indeed. Also, I think I am probably going to add some new tiers of uh, reward for donors soon. Because I spend a lot of time working on the show and it would be nice to have some money. (laughs) Anyway... Thank you so much for all of the stuff. I think that's all the plugs and such. So, uh. Very good, sir. That last podcast weighed 3.4 ounces. Top oh, drawer. <laughs> Old bean. <laughs> Old bean?
1: <laughs> oh, Quite. All right. Hurry up. up. Ribbled.
0: <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, sorry. I <laughs> don't think anyone was wearing ribbled poops in me, governor. <laughs> You remembered halfway through the sentence I was talking in the voice of the toilet. Uh, (laughs) I I just get it mixed up. We all do. Bye! Bye! And have a Scoville rating scale. You know what? I, I, I don't think we have the technology to have the Scoville scale on there.
1: They can figure it out with peppers. Why couldn't they figure it out? Well, I just and think it's them. an
0: extra process that we would have to go through where you like. I just don't think we can. We can, can do bootstrap it. this
1: business. We'll start with the weighing, and then the profits from that can pay for the the other stuff.
0: I just don't think that the fancy British voice. Like, I, I don't trust fancy British people to know about spice. <laughs> That's just the sound of the voice. Uh, we'll discuss this off air. <laughs>